thing to do till now. Good morning. Good morning, Dennis. How are you all? Um, I just want to try what James just tried. I need a show of hands for those that are going to chip in and buy me a new Harley. There we go. It's coming. What's my shirt? What's wrong with my shirt? I just, I just got out of the bathroom, I'm sure. Okay. Happy St. Paddy's Day. Any full-blooded Irish folk here? Gary. Whoa. What do you even do with that? I don't even know. His mom, Deb, is going, oh. I've raised him better than that. All right, I'm going to pray, and we're just going to go for it. God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love for us and for us as a community, and thank you for the things that you're doing here and things that you will do in the future. Thanks for the things you've done in the past and bringing us along and leading us and guiding us. And We definitely want to be in tune, Lord, to the things that you have for us. So I pray that you'd give us discernment in those things, in our future, in our today. And Lord, I pray that as we look into your word, that we'd be able to speak and to resonate in our heart and in our soul. That we all come into this room at a different place in our lives and in our journey of faith. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that the same message can instill and invoke different things in different people. And I would just want to praise you for that, for the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. My rock, my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Uh, I just want to warn you, there's a lot of green things out in the cafe today. They're actually not spoiled. They, they made them that way, so help yourselves. Last week, as we're working through the book of Colossians, we worked through Paul's kind of theology of Christ, and then it got to, well, what's that all kind of mean for us? And he mentioned the words alienated, enemies in our mind, and... Um, Enemies in our mind, and what is the other one? Wow, doing evil deeds. So he's, he's explaining what the human condition is without Christ in our lives, that we were once alienated from God, and it's by our own choice. We choose to be alienated from God. We choose that alienation by making something other than God, the most important thing in our lives. And so whatever that is for you, it could be your job, it could be money, it could be a relationship, it could be your stuff, it could be anything. But that becomes the most important thing, and God gets pushed off to the side, and in that process, we alienate ourselves from Him. And see, the funny thing is, is that we begin to think that in that other thing, that we are going to finally find the fulfillment 
and the satisfaction we so long desire out of life. If, if, I just, if I just climb the corporate ladder and get to the top, then I'm going to be happy. If I just find the perfect Barbie to match me being Ken, then I'll have the perfect relationship. If I could just have a little bit more money, just a little bit more, then I finally I'll be happy. And so we look for satisfaction in the things that can never satisfy us. And what's funny is we think that if we get more of the very thing that doesn't satisfy us in the first place, then we'll end up being satisfied. And it's this treadmill that we're on and we're expelling all of this energy and, and trying to get and trying to get and trying to get. And we get it and it still, not, still doesn't work. And in that, we find that we become alienated from God. And then we become enemies in our minds. It's because the reality of it is my lack of satisfaction in my life is not my fault. It's got to be somebody else's fault. Or something else's fault. And so I start the blame game. And I start pointing the finger. And I start blaming someone else. Or something else. That's why I'm not happy. If those stupid people at my stupid job would get it together. And, and, and give me that promotion I so deserve. Then I could be happy. And so we start blaming other people for our dissatisfaction. For our unfulfillment. And we, and we blame things and other people. They were never meant to satisfy us in the first place. Everything that's been created has been created so that we would, it would point us to Jesus. Point us to God. And it would invoke in us worship. Instead, we're not to worship the created things. We're to worship the creator. And so we go through this, this thing. Something else besides God becomes most important, and it's not satisfying us that something else. We start blaming other things, and then we begin to allow, to, in, to infiltrate into our lives poor decisions. That's what Paul talked about by evil deeds. We start to choose the wrong things. And it's this, this ugly human condition of life without Christ. But see, there's good news to that. Because he later on, he said that there is reconciliation through Christ. We can be reconciled back to God through the work of Jesus Christ in his physical body on the cross. That once and for all, he has paid the price and we can enter into right relationship with him. Because we have begun to now put him First, receiving what he has done, putting faith in the cross and in the work of Christ, not in our own works. And that's the good news of the gospel. And so we've moved from the affliction of sin to reconciliation with God on the merits of Jesus Christ. And we begin to, to understand that we bring nothing to the table in the context of our salvation. We bring nothing to the table when it comes to works to try to save us because we can't save us. And then we can begin to come to the understanding that really 
We bring nothing at all, especially when life gets crazy and you get beat down and things happen and, and you just don't understand it and, at all. Uh, we can't sustain ourselves. Some things are bigger than your ingenuity, your intellect, your bankroll, your skill level. I would argue that almost all things are bigger than that. Someone with an, an inoperable tumor that's been given weeks to live. Their money is not going to save them. Their ingenuity and their intellectual prowess is not going to save them. Yeah, you know, it might buy them some time. You know, maybe, maybe they've taken Oprah's words to heart and they're just going to think it, think the tumor away. But see, God is in control of those things. And God, period, God alone, God sustains, God heals. He brings us through. He makes it happen. And see, this is a very important truth, especially in light of what Paul is about to write in the next verse. Because he's going to share something that's very personal. Very personal to himself. And without this truth of understanding that it, we have nothing to bring to the table, especially, especially when life hits the fan, that we have nothing to bring to the table to save ourselves, in that, in that truth that's anchored deep within him, he is able to say these words. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for, the, for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. We're going to have to spend some time just kind of fleshing through this thing because it's really important to understand what he is saying here and what he's not saying. We can all agree that Paul is a guy that took his lumps for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can all agree and he shares in his writings that he has suffered for Christ. His whole ministry wasn't, wasn't the the uh, nice big building on the corner, people flocking to him, the nice suit. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was beaten. They threw rocks at him. They, they whipped him. He was hungry. He was cold. He was naked, which we don't know all the details to that, but it's in the Bible. And so things didn't go well for him all of the time. And so we know that Paul has suffered. And he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. But the thing we have to really spend some time kind of figuring out is he says this, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. See, because if you just proof text that, that verse, if you just take it completely out of the context, it could sound like what Paul is saying, I, Paul, need to add to the work of Jesus Christ. I, Paul, need to add to because the work of Christ wasn't perfect and it didn't quite do all that it needed to do so we can be justified, so we can be sanctified, so we can be reconciled. So I, Paul, need to help out Jesus in the things that he has done. But that's not what he's saying. In fact, that goes 
against everything that he's talked about up until this point. It goes against everything he has talked about in all of his writings. In fact, that whole idea that we can help God out or Jesus out in his work goes against the entire Bible. Because we just said we can bring nothing. And so do you really think you can add to Christ and to his work? Paul has laid out for us this whole supremacy of Christ and that the, and that, that the fullness of God dwells in him and that we have been reconciled through him and we live in the already not yet of the New Testament. The already Christ has done the work, the not yet that has not been fully consummated and it will be fully consummated when Christ comes back once, once and for all. But, so we live in this tension of the already and not yet. But through his physical body, he has reconciled us. And I want to tell you this again. It is ludicrous to think that we can add a single thing to that. Dave. Yeah, I'll get to that point. <laughs> Thank you. And so, and so we see what Jesus has done for us. And Paul is going to show us that he participates in. But see, if that was just the case, we would be over and done with. And so the place I think we have to travel to this morning is a hard place. And it's going to be difficult for some people. It's not going to be easy. Suffering is never easy. But I believe we have to go there because Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings. The reality of hardship and suffering it's a common thread throughout the pages of history. Throughout the pages of history, we can read about the inhumanity of humanity. Throughout the pages of history, we could see where natural disasters, or as the insurance company would call them, acts of God, have destroyed entire communities, entire uh, counties, enti entire countries have been devastated by the inhumanity of humanity and even these things that we call natural disasters. And so suffering, suffering is this common theme that runs through the entire pages of our history as a people. So people groups have, have, been, have been wiped out, have been wiped out by other people. And bringing religion into the whole thing doesn't alleviate our suffering. In fact, in the name of religion, millions of people have died. And okay, let's keep it real. In the name of the God of this Bible, millions of people have been killed. That's the reality. There was a time where people would say, do you believe in Jesus? And they would say no. And then... They would be killed. That's evangelism to the extreme. And so suffering has plagued our human history from, from the beginning, from, from Cain and Abel. 
A brother kills a brother. And so if we look at God's people in the pages of the Bible, we can see that God's people have endured suffering, and God's people has actually, have actually called, uh, caused suffering. And in Jewish literature, ancient Jewish literature, which we can say the Torah, the Old Testament, is that, we see this over and over and over again. But even beyond the canon of the Bible, there is Jewish literature, apocryphal literature, that talks about the suffering of God's people. There's this book called Enoch, the book of Enoch, it's first Enoch. It's an ancient apocryphal literature that was written about 165 to 65 B.C. Okay? Now this is not scripture, or this is not uh, literature that we consider to have authority that means that we don't have to come under the authority of Enoch. It's outside of the canon of what we believe is our sacred text. But it still speaks to the suffering of God's people. Let me read it for you. This is Enoch 47. It reads like this. And in those days shall have ascended the prayer of the righteous. And the blood of the righteous from the earth before the Lord of spirits. In those days, the holy ones who dwell above in the heavens shall unite with one voice and supplicate and pray and praise and give thanks and bless the name of the Lord of spirits on behalf of the blood of the righteous which has been shed. And that the prayer of the righteous may not be in vain before the Lord of spirits. The judgment, that judgment may be done unto them and that they may not have suffered forever. In those days I saw the head of days, when he seated himself upon the throne of his glory, and the books of the living were opened before him, and, he, and, the, and all his host, which is in heaven above, his counselors stood before him, and the hearts of the holy were filled with joy, because the number of the righteousness had been offered, and the prayer of the righteousness has been heard, and the blood of the righteous been, and the blood of the righteous been required before the Lord of Spirits. What this is talking about is the suffering of God's people and the recognition that the righteous of God, their blood has been shed. They have been killed because of their faith. And what this talks about, this is talking about end time stuff. This is talking about the messianic woes. See, there is a time in the Jewish tradition that before Messiah comes... That, that God's people, they're going to have it really bad. And things are going to go bad for God's people. And their blood is going to be spilled. And it's going to be ugly. And it's going to be dangerous. And if God himself didn't step in, it would have just get completely out of control. And so we see that even in ancient texts that are outside of the canon of Scripture, talk about suffering. Now, you might be asking, well, Dennis, why would you read such literature if it's not our authority, not the Word of God? Well, it's a great question. Let's read Re Revelation 6. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the Word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge your blood, our blood, on those who dwell on earth. 
Then they, will give, they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. This is the canon of our sacred text. And there's, very, th- there's similarities in what this is saying, that the people of God are going to suffer and the blood of the people of God is going to be poured out. And so I think, okay, this is, this is all well and good. I get the suffering thing. I get things aren't going to go well. And I hope you do too because it's going to happen. But let's, let's, wheel, let's bring it all into today, into our life today. Because here's what I want to tell you. Just because you follow Jesus Christ doesn't mean everything is going to be easy for you all of the time. You don't get a free pass from suffering. You don't get a free pass from things going bad, things going wrong, just because you're a Jesus follower. The reality of it is, the reality is, that because you're a Christ follower, it may just go a little bit worse for you. And so, okay, let's leave the faith part out of it for just a second, okay? That we're going to suffer for our faith. Let's just talk about life in general. Guess what? Sometimes life is really hard. And sometimes brutal Ugly things happen to us. Unfair things transpire in our lives, and we just have no idea why. And I know that some of you in here, you've experienced those things firsthand, and you've gone through that firsthand. And some of you know people who have. But see, and here's the danger. Here's the danger with that. And here's why it frustrates me at some of the... Be nice. Some of the teachings that are going on out there. See, if you buy into that lie, if you buy into the lie that all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is is believe in Jesus and you have to muster enough faith in you. Faith is God's gift to you. You don't produce it. It's his gift. And so if, if if you believe the lie that all you gotta do is believe, all you gotta do is have faith, all you got to do is you, you got you to follow Jesus and you got to go to church and you got to just kind of name it and claim it and, and, and things are going to go well for you. And if you pray louder and if you pray more and if you sing louder and if you just get, lift your hands during worship, then maybe God is going to just alleviate all the bad stuff for you. And then it's all going to go good. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Because that's not life. Life is this swerving, ebbing and flowing of just hardship. And yeah, there's some good stuff in there. And I bet you sometimes it's hard to remember even the good things. Because sometimes it's just painful. And following Jesus doesn't alleviate that. And if you believe that lie, then when it happens, and it will, when it happens, you are not going to be prepared for it. You are not going to be prepared for it. See, we don't get to tell God how it should go. We don't get to tell God the way we we think it should work out. We do not control God by our behavior, no matter how religious it looks. You see, when when our 2007, 2008, when I was at the last church I was at, and uh, I was... I was misled in my thinking, I like to say that, but the reality probably is I was arrogant 
in my thinking to say to God, hey God, look at all that's going on here. Look at, look at all of this. People are starting to come back to your church and ministries are starting to be reestablished. I have poured myself into this church, sacrificed so much for your people. And now maybe you can throw me a bone and maybe you can give me this job as the pastor there. I mean, look at, look at all I've done for you, God. And now you should be doing a little something, something for me. And God went, oh, tennis. No. See, you're going to get fired. And somebody else is going to take your position. And then you're going to spend the next year doubting yourself. And, and just in this inner turmoil. And you know what? For a few months, you're not even going to like me. That's what I have for you. And, and I can stand here now and laugh about it. I can stand here now and thank God that it happens. But then, man, that was, that was a no-joke time. Like, I was done with God. I had somebody call me, and, um, and, and, and they said, hey, so what are we doing? I said, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going on the deck, and I got a beer, and that's it. And, and, and that's, that's where I, I was in, this place of, ugh, I'm done. I'm done. Because I actually thought I can control God with my actions. And that all good things should happen to me because, hello, I'm the pastor. It is kind of funny when I say it out loud, I guess, you know. <laughs> I don't know where I am in my notes. I want you to understand this. Hear me when I say this. Maybe I need to get up here so you can see me when I say this. Wow, we should get, we should get rid of this, huh? There is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus. Okay? Let me say it again because I need you to I need you to get a hold of this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so what that means is that suffering, hardship, and brokenness, struggle is not. God's punishment on you. It is not God's punishment on you. Dare I say, it's his mercy upon us. And I know even when that comes out of my mouth, it just goes counterintuitive to my, my humanness. But it's God's mercy upon us. Because it's in those times of hardship and suffering that we realize, man, we're helpless. We are truly helpless in those times. And we're powerless. You don't learn helplessness and powerlessness when you're standing on top of the mountain and everything is going good. In fact, it's in those times where you just forget about God and say, look what I've done. And God helped. But when you come to the understanding that, man, we got nothing. And we are powerlessness, powerless. And we are helpless. And we need Christ. It's in that struggle. 
It's in that struggle, in the pit of that struggle, that the mercy and the love and the grace of God is poured out upon you. And he will sustain you. And he will bring you through it. And you will know freedom. And you will know his grace. And I promise that it's a season. And it's a season that God wants you to move through. It's not punishment. Our suffering is for the good of our sanctification. Paul, I believe, got that. And that's why he was able to write, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Paul is not adding anything to Christ. Paul is inviting the afflictions, the suffering of Christ into his own life for the good of of the church, for whatever reason, God thought him to be able to suffer well for the good, for the edification of the church. And so suffering is going to come. There's just no way around it. There's no way to hide from it. Bad things happen to all people. But there is, there is good news in this. I, I don't want to be a downer. It is St. Patty's Day. I have no idea what that has anything to do with it, but uh, Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness? There's that nakedness again. Or danger or sword. Just so you know, Paul was beheaded with the sword. As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what it is, no matter how hard it has been, how hard it is right now, how hard it may be in the future, Christian, you are not being condemned and you are not being punished. God's love is not some ebb and flow emotionalism that we as humanity define it as. God's love is solid and it's firm and it's and it's in that love where the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ is poured out to us and Jesus doesn't change. He doesn't change. His love doesn't change. Grace doesn't change. Mercy doesn't change. And because we have not earned any of that stuff, we have not behaved our way into any of that stuff, it is not ours to lose in the first place. But it's his gift to us. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. Nothing will separate you from, not even angels, rulers, death, life, the sword. You can run around naked today and God's still going to love you. There it is. Please don't. And I love, I love, it's, it's actually verse 37, but it's not there. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him 
who loved us. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors because of the love of God. It's, it's, this is not just making it through. This is not just, okay, I, I, I think I overcame this or I, I came out on top. This is about going beyond conquering, not in your own power, not because you're good enough, not because you're strong enough or smart enough or have all the resources that you need, because of the love of God through Jesus Christ. That's what makes us conquerors. Do you see why now Paul can rejoice in his suffering? I mean, he's not some sicko masochist going, whoo I got hit with rocks today. Awesome. He's not some golf dude with black nail polish walking around in black. He can rejoice because he knows that not only is it going to come, but that Jesus himself walks through it with him. And it's the hope of the gospel. And he has been found worthy to suffer well before the church. All right, one more, one more verse I want to look at and then we'll be done. Not only that, Romans 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We, not just Paul. Paul's like the superhero of the faith. Like if, like if they had capes back then, I think he would wear one. The big J on the back. Not only that, but we, the church, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here is the good, the realization of the good that can actually come from the hardship and the trials in life. I, I need to make sure that you understand. I don't want anybody to think for a moment I am minimizing anything that anyone has gone through here. I am not minimizing how hard and difficult life can be and seasons of life can be. And I'm not minimizing at all about the, the, the seriousness of what you may have experienced. That's, that's not my point here. It's not my point to just take it lightly and it's okay. Man, it, it's hard and I get that. But you see, with Christ and the joy and the love and the realization that he's not punishing you through this, but that he could use it for his good somehow in some way. And I just don't, I don't want you to think that that's just some Christian ease, stupid, oh, all things work for the good. You know, like Christians say that sometimes and they just need to get poked in the eye and told to shut up. Because there's a certain time to say that and there's a certain time to get poked in the eye and shut up. In the name of Jesus, of course. But, so so the, I'm not minimizing anything. But I'm saying, what I'm saying is that we can rejoice in our sufferings. Because in that, in our sufferings, we can build endurance. We don't have to be crushed under it. What is it? Second uh, Corinthians um, 4-ish. Oh, look, it's right there. Um, cool. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life 
of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That's what the endurance looks like, that you are not going to fold under the weight of life. Not because you got it all together, but because of Christ and Christ alone. That suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. Christ-like God character. Maybe we can say that it produces our sanctification, that we are sanctified, turned into the image of his son. And from that sanctification, we are not put to shame. Why? Because we have a hope. And it's a hope that doesn't let us down. And it's a hope that is, is true and solid and firm. And you can trust in that hope because it's not in the created, it's not in yourself, but it's in the creator of all of the universe. God hope produces in us sanctification, produces, and sanctification comes from this endurance. And endurance comes through, unfortunately, suffering. We will all be there. No one is immune to it. Do you see why over these last weeks and even months, I have been pushing and pushing and pushing Every time I get up in front and talk to you, where is your hope? What is the most important thing in your life? And I'm pushing you, and I'm pushing you, and you might be getting tired of hearing it, but I don't care because it's just too important to let go. What is the most important thing in your life? Because when it hits, and I'm telling you, it's gonna And some will experience it in a lesser or more degree than others. But man, it's going to hit. And when it does, your job is not going to save you. Your money is not going to save you. Your relationships are not going to save you. Your good looks are not going to... Let's face it, some of you ain't all that good looking in the first place. I'm sorry. Beauty is in the beyond what she said. But those things are not going to save you. I, uh, I had to stop working out because, um, that's not funny. Because I had, you know, shoulder surgery. And I just, for a while there, I couldn't even put my shirt on, let alone go lifting. And so I got back in the gym last week. And, and I was working out pretty hard for, for you know, up until I went in to, for sh- shoulder surgery. I am impressed at how quick I lost everything I worked so hard for in a month. Like, I was sore lifting 20 pounds. Even our own bodies are going to let us down. And it's not going to save us. We have to look to Christ and Christ alone. And I'm going to push and push until the Lord removes me from this spot for you to continually look at what is your hope in? What is the most important thing in your life? There was a, a, a scholar, uh, uh, wherever I read it or heard it this past week, and he said this, no one, and I'll say not even the people in this room, No one is immune from or exempt from their life being turned completely upside down by an email, by a knock on the door, 
or by a phone call today. Where is your hope? God, I pray that we would put our hope in you and you alone. Maybe maybe uh, maybe some of you this morning are, are just kind of like working it through in your own strength, and you want somebody to pray for you. The elders are going to be over here, and they'll pray for you. If that's something that God's putting on your heart, man, then then, then respond to it and, and go and be prayed for. Lord, I pray that our trust would be in you. And that one day we could stand and say that I rejoice in sufferings. I take them upon myself for the glory of God. Lord, I pray that we would learn to suffer well. Not for our sake, but for the sake of the kingdom. Amen.